Hello, and thank you for joining us for another fun episode of Becoming Multiplanetary. I am one of your co-hosts, Kage, and I'm excited to have you uh, here joining us because we have two very special guests. We have TJ from I Need More Space and Steffi, uh, also known as Split Second Mom from uh, What About It, and uh, her uh, upcoming show or returning show in January, which she'll give some uh, more information about. But before we uh, get to our guests, let me first hand over to our co-hosts who will be joining us today. Hi, my name is Rich LB, co-host here at Becoming Multiplanetary. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Looking forward to chatting away with our guests today and our topic as well, which we'll announce later on. Also on with us today... Hi, I'm Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. Thank you both for joining us. And first, TJ, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey everybody, my name is TJ. I'm the post uh, producer guy behind the YouTube channel I Need More Space, where I just try to do some deep dive stories around things that you may or may not have heard of in human spaceflight. We're about to send at least 15,000 names to the moon, which is really exciting. Uh, we have about 2,500 names that uh, will be engraved onto a piece of silicate and, that silicate, and actually that engraving is starting today. So I'm really excited and uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about uh, SN8 in, the, in our future. Great, thank you. And Steffi? I am Steffi, or Split Second Mom, the godmother of What About It? And I'm starting my own show in January, and it will be called Infinite Cosmos. And it will be around about everything regarding our cosmos and what it has to do with us here on Earth. Thank you both for joining. I'm really excited to have you here today. And today's topic will be about serial number eight from SpaceX and how that may very well be the watershed moment of humanity becoming multiplanetary. So let's, uh, as, as Felix of What About It likes to say, let's dive right into that topic. And uh, first, I want to start off with uh, you, TJ. So I, I, I assume, of course, that you watched uh, the uh, SN8 uh, launch, belly flop, and uh, almost landing. So uh, tell us, what, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I heard it, something about that. Um, uh, I was, I can't remember having that level of goosebumps, but also sweat coming out of pores. I didn't know sweat happened, like came out of, like, it was just such a visceral, amazing experience. You know, I, I thought coming into, um, coming to this launch, it would probably be the third, my third favorite launch of the year behind, uh, DM2 and Crew 1, um, but this took the take, took the cake. I'm sorry. I mean, it was to see this type of technology uh, performing in this way uh, as they designed pretty much first go was just amazing. You know, with with DM2 and Crew 1, uh, when I look back, you know, it was an amazing experience. But we had seen, I've seen, you know, tons of Falcon 9s launch before. We've seen Crew Dragon launch before and Cargo Dragon launch before that. And having the people on board made it just more real. But this was a technology demonstration unlike anything I think anybody's ever seen. Um, and it was just exciting to really feel like we're on the, we're, we're, I feel like we're on the edge right now. And we're just moments away from technology pushing us off that ledge into like this next level of space flight. So, um... It was just amazing, and I'm still on this high. And uh, SpaceX is going faster than I think I can even deal with. They were supposed to have a launch today for Sirius XM, and it's just they just move so fast. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Steffi? It was, uh, <laughs> I was I was there with you, but uh, tell uh, tell us and listeners about uh, how SN8 felt for you. 
Yeah, it was really surreal. I when I watched it the first time, I couldn't grasp what that really meant for us and how smooth everything yeah, worked out. It was a perfect view. We, everything worked and in the end we had the explosion. It couldn't have been better to be honest. And I rewatched it a couple of times again. And yeah, it really feels like we can do this. We can get off this planet and explore space further and beyond. Yeah, I I can't agree with you more. Um, it was, I, I, I was yelling at the top of my lungs uh, when it was happening, uh, saying a whole lot of holy mm, uh, uh, cusses. And uh, actually my, <laughs> my wife had to uh, lean over and like, shh, you know, it's like midnight right now. I, I'm, I'm over in Europe, so it was uh, happening pretty late in the evening. And uh, I, I feel I was disturbing my neighbors, but uh, I don't care. It was it was worth it. <laughs> How about the rest of you? How did you enjoy the uh, SN8 launch? Uh, I enjoyed it with my son. He's uh, eight months old, and it was just really cool to experience it with him at the same time. I was planning on on streaming it like Felix, but uh, he my son needed my attention at the time. Um, but uh, it was. It was really great to be able to share that with him. I know he's not really going to remember it, but when he's older, I'll be able to say with him that we watched it together, and uh, that's what's special to me. So myself, I watched it with my partner, Rebecca, and uh, I was actually watching it on Felix's stream at the time. And uh, I noticed as it took off, an impromptu munitions expert appeared at the side of the camera to launch some golden confetti. I wonder who that was. Yeah, that was me. That was a fix, by the way, uh, why everything worked out so well. Because the first two attempts, I forgot about this confetti cannon. And then, right before it has to, had to launch again, I even wrote to Miko, Hey, I have the fix now. And I grabbed the confetti cannon and I jumped upstairs and it did it. And then I released confetti all over Felix and we were all happy. Was Felix expecting it? No, he didn't. Nobody did. Just me. <laughs> oh my god, that's so great. I love that. Yeah, and I didn't even notice when you did it. I was so into watching SN8 go. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that whole thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, several of us uh, in uh, Total Space Network, we also work uh, closely with uh, Felix and Steffi and What About It, and we were uh, helping to support their live streams, plural. Because uh, there was a, what was it, ten and a half hours on Tuesday and nearly eight hours on Wednesday. Was that about right? I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I, I, I've done 90-minute streams before, and that's pretty exhausting. A 10-hour stream, that's... People, viewers at home may not realize, or listeners at home may not realize, that's a real endurance, mental endurance test. And uh, I give you all a lot of credit for, for not only watching it, but doing it. I think uh, lots of coffee was uh, something that helped. Uh, and I'll, I'll, uh, also don't forget that uh, in the middle of Wednesday's stream, Felix also re uh, released an episode that he worked on somewhere in between all of that. So uh, that dude is a machine. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you how we did it. It was crazy when he announced that he take he'll take a break for half an hour or so. I was already thinking, yeah, sure, you take half an hour break. And it was like five to ten minutes every time. And I cooked coffee and I was asking him, what do you need? What do you need? And the fun thing is that uh, we kept our kids awake the first time. And they really, they 
yeah, were awake the whole time. And then on the second day, they were so tired again. I was like, you have to watch it. And half an hour before before lift off, they finally fell asleep. <laughs> so they, we had to rewatch it in the morning. <laughs> and thank you so much. It was so crazy. All these viewers and without your help, couldn't have done it. It was really, really amazing that all of you stuck with us the whole time. It was an absolute blast to support it. It was um, it was a whole lot of fun, and uh, it was it was great to uh, watch it with the the whole what about it community. Um, but yeah, let's let's uh, circle back a little bit to uh, serial number eight. So, in in my opinion, I th I think that that was the watershed moment of humanity becoming multiplanetary. I think that was the precipice of where we really are taking those first big strides to moving beyond just being an Earth-faring species or a low-Earth-orbit-faring species, but actually uh, moving far beyond uh, Earth and going to the Moon, to Mars, to Venus, to who knows where. What are your thoughts on that? TJ? I, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, there's been Starship, you know, much, much like any other kind of advanced technology is standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, when you look back at the last uh, really 65-ish years of, uh, of space flight, uh, it's taken a lot of experience and time and investment of many people and governments to get our technology to a place where we're ready for Starship and to see that it come to fruition um, you know, is just amazing. Uh, you know, yes, we've always had we've had access to stainless steel for years. We've had access to uh, uh, electronic motors and actuators and some of these sensors. But I feel like you know, it's in 2020. It's like we're we're at the perfect storm of technology and raw materials being available, but then also the right people with experience being there. And we're just literally watching it all come together at the same time. And uh, I look back at, you know, uh, when Starhopper was, was flying and, uh, you know, I look at, at the time, my mind was just melting at this, seeing this booster take off and land like that uh, with ease, that seemed like. And now, now you look back and that's like adorable, you know, oh, TJ, like that was nothing, man. You have no idea what you're about to like live through. So um, I, I feel like, you know, uh, if you, if I like to use physical, like, uh, comparisons a lot of the time and I, I, I liken all the previous booster systems that many great minds have have created you know that the Atlas the Saturn series uh, you know uh, and seeing that as like the these uh, bulldozers just clearing out the way and leveling the surface and now we're finally Starship is like that first block of many blocks of this foundation of this beautiful exploration house we're gonna have and uh, it's just it's just great to, to witness it um, and, and and document to a degree I, I find um, a, a certain level of obligation I'm not actually uh, building or really involved with the development of it but I want to make sure that I can be part of the that space and science communication army to make sure that the general public and everybody knows how big of a deal this is and why we need to be paying attention um, for our generation and future generations. Couldn't agree more. How about you, Steffi? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about time that we leave the planet not only to yeah, visit Moon for a short period of time. Even Werner von Braun, I mean, he already wanted to go to Mars and he, with, with the technique he had, all the technology he had, 
he it would have been possible already and now we're we even evolved further and now there is a glimpse again that we can really do it before uh, before the launch i thought yeah it can be possible but maybe it can't be maybe it could still be the wrong way we'll have to sit and wait and when serial number eight lifts it off it was yeah right there we we can do it and i can already imagine one of these starship prototypes going to orbit and further and pushing it yeah further and beyond basically and that is so so amazing and we really need the the young minds that are crazy enough to to yeah get on a ride and yeah see how far they can get that's it the technology is there and we need the people to yeah be, be crazy enough or to be um curious enough to really put their lives in and see how far they can get basically you know it, steffi i'm actually curious um so from launch from launch till quote-unquote landing what moments for you was like the most intriguing or incredible of all because there's there was a several series of events that happened in the launch was there a particular moment that really stood out to you as like hair raising like just a extra spectacular in a way i really i wouldn't have thought that they really do the belly flop maneuver and that if they would attempt it that they yeah that something would fail something wouldn't have yeah there could have been gone so many things wrong and he just did it he just did it when the first uh, engine sh shut off i was like oh god and now there's a fire and can it still do it and was it on purpose or was it not what the hell is happening because it was so fast all of it I, my mind couldn't take it at the first at the first view basically and then when it leaned over and just it was so peaceful and so 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 majestic as well. Yeah, I think that's that was the most impressive thing for for me. And what about you? I I completely agree. The belly flop maneuver, and if anything, yes, the technical achievement of actually pulling that off was amazing. But of anything, you know, you watch rocket launches your whole life, launching and now landing, and it's a spectacular sight. It's a massive technical achievement, but it's still like this metal thing uh, that you know is, as a person, there's it's hard to have like any kind of personal attachment or emotion to it. But seeing it move on its own like that like seeing the flaps move and you could see it the computers on board thinking it felt as i'm watching it i'm like it's alive it's controlling itself you know it, it's engines gimbling and things of that nature you don't really see it that clearly so it doesn't I, I don't think it translates very well to a viewer um as knowing like the how how technically involved the computers are but seeing um the winglets do what they were doing and bring it in i i as a viewer who didn't really know much about the in inner workings of SpaceX, it looked like they flew it out so far off, off the Gulf of Mexico that they were going to just detonate it. But turns out, you know, the, the engine outs were planned and then it flew back. Um, so I think the belly flop maneuver just made it look real and, and not human-like, but uh, I connected with it more than any other booster experience I've ever seen. So for me, the magic source of that video came from the kick maneuver when i saw that kick maneuver happen after seeing all the engines fail i'm like oh it's just gonna crater it's just gonna crater and then just boom out of nowhere the engines come alive and woof it just kicks out and it's like holy moly yeah i'm, I'm right there with you that i think the thing that 
I mean, the whole entire uh, uh, event was was absolutely hair-raising, but the, the thing where I, f I thought, for sure, it's going to fail here, was that uh, kick maneuver coming out of the belly flop to getting uh, vertical and uh, attempting to land. I was sure that it was going to overshoot and flip upside down and land its back or something was going to go wrong there and it pretty much nailed it spot on had it not been for the uh, methane header tank uh, not having enough pressure. That could have been 100% success. I, I am just, I, I still can't believe that that happened. I was impressed with almost how slow it was moving too. You don't realize with that, that much surface area, how much it can really slow itself down and really dial in that landing. And I, I certainly, I was like, there's no way they're gonna pull that off. And that kickback maneuver, I was just running around screaming. It was brilliant. Did you see the video that uh, SpaceX released uh, on the pad? Of, of it coming down, doing its kick maneuver, and attempting to land? Yeah, I've, I've watched it maybe 60 or 70 times at this point. Um, <laughs> this seeing the engine's gimbal too, when it ticked, when it tips over, and then you're like face to face with the, with the bell end of those engines, and you see them moving like that. I thought it's like something out of the Mandalorian, man. Like, it's just, what? How is this real? Uh, and it was seen by, I don't even know how many tens of thousands of people in real life, and seeing all of those camera angles has been a really awesome experience uh, and seeing the locals' reactions. I, I want to circle back to something that, uh, Steffi, you, you had mentioned on uh, about uh, Werner von Braun, and you've done in uh, in the first few episodes of uh, of your uh, YouTube series, you've done a uh, a few really interesting um, uh, deep dive sessions into uh, the history of uh, certain things, how we got to certain points. Um, so, how do you feel? Werner von Braun would have uh, felt about this if he were still alive today and saw this happening. I mean, maybe other than how long it took us to get to this point again, but uh, what do you what do you think his thoughts would be about this? Hell yeah, what were all the people thinking? And finally, they understood how important that is and what that could mean for humanity, for the survival of our race, for what we can accomplish and how far we can go, where we can look and how far we can push science and what we might get to know when we just leave this tiny spot with a... because what we can see from here, I mean it's astonishing how far we can look, but it's just a single tiny spot inside the universe and we need a bigger picture, we need more, more angles to yeah, look around basically. So I think he would be very happy to see this. And I think if he could, he would <laughs> come right back to life and enjoy this time and yeah, shake hands and see what, what he can improve and how he could help. I think he would be very, very, very happy. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so what do you think are the next steps for a starship? I mean, other than uh, additional prototypes and so forth, uh, Steffi, what do you think that, um, where do you think that this will take us next? Well, take, take us next is um, to, <laughs> to help as a nine up again and get it on the pad sometime soon, hopefully, with not so many repairs to be done. Yeah, and then what next? To, to figure out how to control the methane tank so that the pressure just works out fine and that we can stick the landing. And after that, I mean, I don't know, Elon, but I think with SN9 or SN10 that he will go orbital as well. So, higher. So, 
there is something that we need to keep in mind here, and that is, this is now only the second time we've seen the Raptor engines used, and the first time it was Hoppy that had them. So... Third time. I believe the first was in 2019, when Hoppy fired them up. We had uh, 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 the Grasshopper, um, then we had uh, the two, um, I think it was uh, SN4, Five and SN6, if I'm getting my numbers correct. Uh, oh wait, yeah, that's right. No, uh, Grasshopper was uh, a Falcon 9 rocket, or uh, a Merlin engine, right? Yeah, it was a Merlin. Yeah. Yeah. Starhopper was uh, Raptor, and then. But there were there were two Raptor uh, hop tests. Yeah, we had Starhopper, and we had was it SN5 or SN6? SN5 and six. Yeah, this was the uh, third uh, third test of a um, uh, of the uh, Raptor engines, uh, the third flight test. Then let me rephrase that. This is the first time we've seen Raptors lift something as big as a full Starship frame. Well, yeah, and, and them burn at this duration. I think uh, engine forty-two burned for like four minutes or something. So let me let me uh, continue on uh, with that uh, question. Um, so we know that Elon has planned at least three-ish ideas with uh, three major ideas with uh, the uh, Starship. There's the transcontinental uh, flights of going from one side of the Earth to the other, which is pretty interesting um, in uh, of its own. There's also the um, idea to have it as a way to get to Mars and back, but then there's also the um, moon version of Starship. And TJ, with your uh, especially recent focus on the moon, um, maybe first, uh, what are your thoughts on the moon version of Starship? How far away do you think we are, and uh, what do you think that holds for humanity? I think if you're talking about a starship that will transport crews to the moon, I think we're pretty far away. Uh, you know, there's a lot that needs to happen before you have a operational booster system between having that and then putting human beings on board. Um, this thing needs to be proven out to a severe degree, especially with the added on factor that there's no uh, launch abort uh, opportunities. Uh, there, there have been discussions that there, there may be a combination of Orion and a uh, Orion Starship combination, where Starship is just doing the uh, the low lunar orbit uh, rendezvous uh, to landing and back. But even at that point, um, there's going to need to be a lot of work done. Uh, so, and there's there's things like uh, just the, the the human systems uh, that need to be that need to be figured out uh, to have people survive and work on Starship, uh, the the crane system. Uh, you know, before we even put people on it, it should land on the moon, I would think, a few times, uh, because this is a very unique uh, system. I, I have no doubt that they can do it, uh, but there's a, a pretty long road ahead of us uh, in terms of actually bringing that to fruition. Um, I'm looking forward to these earlier missions where once the Starship and Super Heavy are operational, uh, really showing how this booster system is a much more affordable way to get payloads into LEO and beyond. And then once they have enough missions under their, their belt, then really building out the, the human uh, variations of Starship um, in terms of the 
uh, the the LEO version and the lunar version because uh, as on the outside they may look similar they're going to be very different in a lot of ways as well um, so there's just two very different technologies that will need to be uh, adapted to um, so I think that this was a great first step and I'm looking forward to them accomplishing another 12 and a half kilometer um, hop and then bringing it up to beyond as Steffi said to LEO um, I don't believe Starship has enough Delta V on board to bring itself back to a landing um, after it's been LEO um, somebody correct me if I'm wrong there um, but putting it into LEO and demonstrating its capabilities in LEO and then probably doing a safe uh, deorbit burn um, and, and, and showing it take the iterative steps uh, because there's, you know, to get it to uh, even having landing people on the moon, we need to nail uh, uh, low Earth orbit refueling. Um, it does need to be refueled before it can take that TLI burn and actually do a lot of work at the moon. So I'm very excited. This was an excellent, excellent first step. Um, and I have no doubt that they'll be able to send a starship uh, to Mars in the next Mars, Martian launch window. I know that's a goal for Elon. Um, but uh, even without the uh, LEO refuel, uh, I, th I believe they have enough Delta V to send it on a one-way trip, uh, which is a great technology demonstrator in of itself. So I'm a bit of a realist. I, 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 I'm very excited, but I also I know of a lot of the technical hurdles, political hurdles, and financial hurdles that are in the way. And they have the right leadership and they have the right people. Uh, they're just just like everything else they've been doing it. They're gonna take it one step at a time and fail hard, fail fast, and learn from it, and not do that again. And before the recording, you and I were uh, talking a moment about um, uh, having a moon first mentality. Uh, can you go into that a little bit uh, in more detail, uh, especially with respect to uh, the uh, starship? Yeah, absolutely. So you could see it as a conservative mindset to say moon first and then and then go to mars um i get that but when it comes to anything with human beings um i tend to want to make sure what we're doing is going to work right 100 percent of the time and there's i'm not even necessarily talking about the technology demonstration i'm talking about the people uh we've been doing long duration space flights um on L on on station uh over the last five-ish years, and I'm saying long, long, long duration, like six plus month uh, trips, at which trip to Mars is gonna be triple that, quadruple that really. There's a lot of things on the human side that we really need to nail down to make sure that you can put together a crew who's not gonna wanna kill themselves after being together for three years in a remote place that death is around them at every corner. Um, and one of the best test beds you could do that on is if you want to do it on a physical surface and learn how to build a camp, learn how to do science and learn to work as a team and really flesh that out is on the moon. Um, there's a lot of things you can do on station, but it's different in the sense that if something went wrong, you could be home in just a few hours. On the moon, that's not the case. Um, it takes days to get home if everything goes right. So there's that's just another stake level that we as, uh, when I say we, NASA, SpaceX, all inter international entities need to figure out what are what are the type, the right combination of people to put together, uh, and then not only the right people, but the proper training for them to be ready to be on another world and be on their own. Um, the, the, the light, uh, I think it takes about 20 minutes uh, for at, at, at Mars's closest uh, orbit to the Earth. It takes about 20 minutes for light to travel from Mars to Earth. So you're on your own. 
So those are the kinds of things I think about. Like, I have no doubt that there's people like Steffi who, 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 who want to go to Mars one day, who have it in them uh, to do to to do that. But there's so many other factors involved outside of this, the technology, that uh, we're all human. We see what people can do to each other, um, even the smartest, uh, most educated people. Uh, and I'm, I'm conscious of that. Um, but in terms of the technology for SpaceX and, and going to the moon, um, I will start feeling more excited about the lunar landing once we start seeing uh, what the human quarters are going to look like. How are they going to handle people surviving those the, the re-entry and the burn maneuvers and all of that? So uh, I am I'm cautiously optimistic, but optimistic nonetheless. And I know that they will get there. I'm just I'm not confident that it's going to happen in that 2024 time frame that everyone's really been pointing toward. Yeah. What about you, Steffi? Are you uh, are you Moon first or Mars first? What are your thoughts on uh, on what TJ just said? <laughs> yeah, as I said, why not do uh, both at the same time? I mean, if um, NASA gives some money so we can go to Moon, and I mean SpaceX is becoming faster and faster regarding development. I mean, they're around for what 18 years now, and the first Falcon flew 14 years ago, and now they already brought crew to the ISS. I think, yeah, 2024, I'm all for it. I want to believe that it's possible and that that we can be, yeah, back on the moon soon. So uh, I say, yeah, we can do it. Elon will do it. I mean, he'll just pump out one prototype after another, and he'll push the limits further and further as he's done within the past few years, basically. Yeah, for the human factor, that's a pretty interesting factor, basically. <laughs> well, there is the base in Antarctica where they don't get any support for eight or nine months every year. And I think that's that's an interesting way to see the dynamics from all the people stationed there, how they interact with each other, how thin they, their nerves get every now and then without daylight depending on each other, being so close together all the time. Yeah, and, and the factor, the mix factor, basically, between men and women going there, how, how they interact and how a good mix is needed. And what I'm always saying is people that leave Earth and go especially to, to Mars. I mean, even if you just just leave for the ISS, you know, you have to say goodbye to Earth. There is no other way. You have to say, okay, I suck in every memory I want to take with me. And now I'm leaving this planet and I don't know if I come back. I mean, hopefully I come back and the technology is really good from ISS to come back. It's really, really good. But if you go to the moon or to Mars, the possibility for you not coming back is very high and so you have to say goodbye to Earth and start a new life and you have to be all for it otherwise it'll fail and you'll kill each other on the way or something horrible like that yeah and especially the factor who's gonna go first uh, are there really crazy people or are that I don't know what, what kind of mindset you really take to get a good mix out of calming people out of people that are happy i mean laughing is always a good cure and scientists yeah that will be a real challenge because it won't be just 10 or 20 people you have to send more especially to mars in the beginning yeah and steph you bring up a good point that the the analogs on earth uh have been uh 
really good for uh, for not only NASA, but there's a lot of nonprofits and things of that nature that run run these analogs uh, in Hawaii and as in Antarctica or even in the in the deep in the Atlantic. I can't remember what the uh, oh man, there's it's it's like this deep sea, uh, not even deep sea, but the underwater station that astronauts will go to train in. Um, there's some really great analogs where I know that there's already psychologists really analyzing and figuring out what are the right people to put together. Um, but uh, I love the optimism. I really do because you need that mixture of folks like yourself and folks like myself uh, to make sure you have all your bases covered. And I think what really um, um, uh, is so important for me is, I mean, I've I have kids. My husband always said he'd never go to Mars because he has kids. I say I have to go or we have to go to Mars because I have kids and humanity won't survive on Earth for very long in, in space time saying but if we really can yeah move to Mars and uh, yeah move to other planets humanity can survive way longer and that's the step we have to take and that's a step I think we have to hurry with because we don't have forever and I, nobody knows how long we really have here I mean with all the stuff going on when's the next mass extinction event gonna happen nobody knows can be very close or we can have some hundred years maybe even a thousand more but we really have to move now especially because we have the technology now to do so sure i, I agree with that and uh i think that there's there's two thoughts to that 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 era that the for the concept of exploring beyond terra firma is preparing for that next potential extinction event but also learning more about where we came from, how the solar system, how the galaxy, how the universe works, and how can we take advantage of the uh, the resources and new technology that will develop as we discover those new resources to improve life on Earth, and maybe even prevent that extinction event if it's an asteroid, if it's from carbon emissions. Uh, so that's how I, I think it's important to have a really good balance of exploring for the right reasons. Um, right now, I really want us to push exploration so that we can improve life on Earth. But that's not to say we shouldn't also be exploring to be able to settle other places to cover our bases, in an essence, in a, in a, in a, in a way to say that. Um, so, yeah. I completely agree. We need to be multiplanetary at some point. But, Steffi, you said about moving to Mars. So... At what point would you be confident enough in Starship to take your family on a ride? Would it it could even be just Earth to Earth or Moon vacation? Oh, yeah, Earth to Earth or Moon vacation? How confident? Oh, that's a that's a mean question because I don't know if you have a word for that in in English, but I'm a a hen. Yeah, it's a hen, right? <laughs> a hen mom. I really <laughs> take care of my kids and. <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough question. Helicopter parent? Uh, no, no, I'm not the bad type of that. They can explore and do all sorts of crazy stuff. But, you know, if they fall down, I'm always there to catch them. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, airline-wise, maybe, yeah. We should be really safe. Hundreds of people or thousands of people from would have would have had to take a ride before, I think. Yeah. So you're, so you're saying when you're, when you compare airline levels, several flights per day, uh, reliably and predictively type deal. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. I mean, and on the other hand, you can always die. You can go outside the door and a car hit you or whatever. 
but yeah, it should be relatively safe. And did say at what point would you go to a starship ride and would you ever take your kid on a ride? So, um, I would never take my kid on a ride. Uh, I would want that to be their choice. So I'd want them to be of that age to be able to make that gamble on their own, so to speak, because it is such a new technology. I mean, it's, you know, I think about, you know, oh, asking somebody in like 1941, like, would you take your kid on an airplane, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, but still, uh, for, for a kid, for my kid, I, I wouldn't, take him up until he was of the right age uh for myself um i don't even think i need it to be uh, that maybe this is where i'm actually on the extreme and compared uh to the mars first group is where uh, personally speaking um i'm i'd want to i'd want to really examine that technology and understand how how the safety procedures work and what are the 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 secondary or third level uh, redundancies in the system, so I felt confident about uh, survival. Um, but I would actually be fine with being one of the early groups or early people to ride on Starship, uh, mainly because I know the people who are building this system uh, really care. They really care about the people. Um, you can really see how uh, Crew Dragon was handled, especially after the anomaly, after the explosion of the first one. Um, I, I know that the people at SpaceX care. I know that Elon cares. And that, for me, weighs a lot. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to go to Mars. Um, I would be fine at the furthest going to the moon, I would say. Um, uh, but that being said, uh, I would be okay personally being on one of those early missions. Not that I would ever qualify. Um, but for all you know, they're just going to want bodies in those things to test it out. So uh, I I'd be on. I'd want to be on that list. I don't know if I would join you on the the moon mission, but I mean, if if I could if I could uh, see the curvature of the Earth with my own two eyes, not that I don't believe it, but I want to I want to see it myself. If I could pass the Carmon line, even just for a brief moment, that's that's my one and only bucket list item, really. Is I just I I want to experience that. Mm. Oh God, yeah. Here, here. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll come up with something for uh, scared people, like die on the on a rocket or something like that. Like when you're old, really, really old. Yeah, exactly. Like not not your crematories, but you can even die there. All good. A new form of euthanasia. <laughs> <laughs> Does your state or country not allow euthanasia? Well, in space, there's no country. <laughs> So something that I want to make a mention of here, uh, we've heard lately that Elon might be looking to make a cargo starship run to Mars roughly around the 2022 mark. And I was talking about it recently and thinking that it would be really, really uh, taking the initiative as such if he would use this to pre-plant some materials needed for a Mars base. What do you think of that? When you say pre-plant, do you mean actual plants or do you mean technology? No, just like ship some cargo over there that could be used for a potential Mars base when they do send people over. Yeah, I, for, I think uh, getting robots involved as soon as possible for assembly and for setup is critical. There's been some really cool developments in using Martian and lunar regolith to build structures, um, 3D printed structures. I think that that's a no-brainer. Um, 
to get those machines out there to begin assembling those structures to protect the people and the equipment from the elements, whether it's the, the Martian storms, whether it's radiation um, or the extreme temperatures. Uh, if you can build those kinds of structures, regardless of size, there's a lot of advantages and extra safety margin added there. So I, I think before your first human trip, regardless, uh, long duration human trip, I mean, Mars, it's by default, but if at least on the moon, um, if you can get those uh, robots on the ground to begin assembling those systems, and uh, I think that you're going to drastically increase the survival rates uh, for that crew if they all get there in one piece. Um, so I'm all for that. Um, and also setting up uh, the, the, the liquid oxygen farms and the methane farms so that uh, the the vehicle can begin fueling up as fast as they need to because I do I'm not sure how long of a window there is once you get to Mars before if you need to abort and come back um, but it'll be good to know that those farms are functioning prior to your arrival um, so that you know you've got enough gas to get home if need be so starting with Steffi here I'm gonna ask the question if you had uh, the power to choose what you would send on a first cargo mission to put onto Mars. What would be your shopping list to send? Steffi, you first. First things, uh, am I, I was thinking about when TJ uh, spoke, send a lot of, of starships there to, to figure out how to get there from different kinds of orbits and what's needed. And now you say I only have one starship. That's really mean. Uh, well, yeah, some 3D printing machines sound really, really good. A lot of material that you need. Um, science stations, robots with science stations, so that, that yeah we can figure out what we're working with at the landing station. And uh, some other kinds of, of robots and a lot of exploration as well. So if, if we can figure out, uh, is, is, this, is this safe here? <laughs> safe here on Mars, yeah. And what do we need to bring next? And maybe some crazy enough people to go there with them too, so they can actually figure out stuff before I go there. Yeah, that would be really, really great because there's nothing as good as a human factor when it comes to my survival and going to explore Mars. Can you can you say the scenario just one more time? I'm trying to make sure I get it right. You're asking if I get to send one thing prior to my arrival? So this cargo mission that Elon's thinking about sending in 2022, if you were the person in charge of the list of what's going, what would you send? I see. So in this sense, this cargo mission may not even necessarily be for people to, on the ground to use. It's it's really for te a testing ground exploration purposes. And for myself, I think I, I kind of go back to the original, my original thought with the with my previous answer. Um, I would, I'd want to really build out the um, develop, being able to capture from the air and make liquid methane and liquid oxygen. Um, because if you can do that, you've got energy, you've got potential drinking water. There's a lot of uses from that. So for me, once I once that thing gets on the ground, I'd want to actually see it working 
in the Martian environment to actually get readouts and actual uh, measurable amounts of information uh, that uh, measurable amounts of actual fluid um, so that we can begin that next trip, begin figuring out that next trip. Uh, so that's that's probably priority one for me is making sure that we can use uh, in situ in situ resource utilization and dial that in because that's the golden ticket. If we can nail that, Mars is only the beginning. I would send a Tesla just because trollolololololol. <laughs> <laughs> Which one though? Um, well, considering that the Teslas uh, spell out sexy, I would send all four because I wouldn't want to have a uh, sexy starship. Trollolololololol. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I'd want to see a Martian um, Cybertruck. Ooh, that's a good idea. That's another cool thing. Is if if you could, if if you send one Cybertruck, but it's actually meant to function, like it's airtight, it's rugged, maybe has solar arrays on it or something, and just take the PR campaign alone of driving Cybertruck to different mountaintops and taking pictures with itself. Uh, I don't know if they can make enough cyber trucks because the demand will be so high. That's a that's actually a great idea. Send a, send a cyber truck. Ooh, I like it. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah, or better like I would have said before, send a lot of starships from a lot of different Earth and Mars orbits just to yeah, experience as as much as you you can to get all the data out. What could go wrong? Yeah, that would be really nice. And to stick the landing too. So we have a one of the listener questions actually. Stinger NSW asks, if Werner von Braun was here in our time, do you think he would be working at SpaceX with Elon or would they clash, i.e. would they have different visions or a common goal? Oh, I think because, I mean, a lot of great minds are very unique. I think they, they wouldn't become friends really. Maybe they would work together, but I think they would even have different companies and try to outdo each other. I think that um, I've done a lot of research and some videos on Werner von Braun and assuming he grew up in the same era as Elon, I'd like to think that they would have similar goals in mind. Just if you think about it, if you think about the 1950s and 60s, just somebody coming up with the concept of a Saturn V, just ridiculous. Just in scale and in, 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 the, compli in the complications that go along with assembling and operating a vehicle like that. And it took at that time the right kind of visionary and the technology and the financial support to pull that off. And Elon is working off of the shoulders of people like Werner von Braun, who had those kind of radical thoughts at the time and executed on it to a degree that is still astonishing to this day. So having Werner today, I'd imagine uh, he might even be going even more extreme. Um, but uh, I know Werner was a big fan of uh, of space stations um, in a, a variety of degree of space stations and uh, creating artificial gravity. Um, so I think that Werner may have actually been more of a moon first type of person, but would want to create insanely large space stations uh, to get people off Earth and living off Earth. Uh, whereas Elon's more about the about the, the Mars sustainability. So both doing amazing things in spaceflight, but would have different focuses, uh, but also equally as extreme. You know, um, I, it's like part of me wishes that funding kept going. So 
Von Braun and company could have built the Nova rocket, you know, and gone bigger and better. Uh, but, uh, you know, one can dream. And we have uh, another listener question. Uh, this one is from um, currently named Framnog, uh, Framrick, who has uh, joined us from time to time on this show. And he asks, if the Starship makes it into orbit in 2021, maybe refueling in 2022, do you think the space industry and governments will finally take notice? Steffi, let's start with you. Well, um, they will take notice. I mean, even NASA is um, pitching in more and more with SpaceX and they cannot not notice, right? I mean, if, if Elon really pulls it all off and he already said that he wants to send all the rich people to Mars, I mean, that would be a good idea in a lot of perspectives. <laughs> but they have to take notice because they are not dumb either. And as soon as it, it, as soon as you can earn money with it, and when you go to space and can do it sustainably, you can go and start mine asteroids and so on and so forth. And of course, they'll jump on the boat and yeah, try to make profit out of it. And then, then you have, if you really start a colony on Moon or Mars or wherever, what kind of politics do you want to have there? Which which player will be the first there? How how are they ruling there? So of course they will jump jump on that starship basically or on the train. They must. I think that governments have taken notice. They they're there, uh, but there's some reality things we have to think about. They have payloads they need in space right now. Whether it's for national security purposes, whether it's for uh, science or exploration purposes or communication purposes, they can't wait on Starship. Uh, they need to put that stuff in space now, and it's for all of it's for the betterment of all of us. So, some of them are tied down still to uh, legacy uh, launch providers um, because of the necessity. That's what they need. They need to put their stuff in space. So I get that. Uh, but they're paying attention. They're absolutely paying attention. And the legacy launch providers are paying attention. ULA would not be working on a reusable Vulcan uh, if it wasn't for SpaceX. Uh, and and I know Blue doesn't really put out that much. And there's actually some interesting, um, you know, uh, internal bouts that they're having right now. Um, but uh, Blue is, is the next one up to be competing for the, the, the medium and, and heavy lift capabilities. Uh, Starship is that next step, and I don't think that they're going to have any issues filling out their manifest once they have it open for business. Um, so I, I want to make sure that people understand that governments are paying attention, companies are paying attention, um, but there's not much else they can do until there's actually a product to purchase, and right now there isn't. Um, I don't think Elon is even looking for uh, any private funding right now um, because when you do that, you give up some level of control usually. And he's not short on cash, let's be honest right now, with the way things at Tesla are going. Um, I know that he has folks like Steve Jurvetson and others who were early invest inv investors in SpaceX and helped it get off the ground, so to speak. Um, so people are paying attention they're there but it's just like you know i'm sitting here waiting for when i can buy my first electric car you know now i can do it um but i haven't i've been paying attention before i was even able to um so I, at some point uh starship will put falcon 9 out of business and it'll put all the other launch legacy launch providers out of business um 
uh, because at a certain point, if they can make Starship as reusable as they say they can, um, even small launch providers should be afraid because then it'll be cheaper just to send a Starship up than, say, an Electron. Um, because you're just paying for gas and maintenance at that point. So we've got one more listener question to take before we wrap up for the outros, guys. And this one's from Susie R. And she's one of our patrons here at the channel. And she asks, how do you envision the settlement of the first colony on Mars will happen? And which provider do you believe will get it done? Now, before I pass it to the floor, there is uh, something I'd like to point out on this, is uh, we have spoken with uh, uh, people called Nexus Aurora in the past, and they actually won the Mars Colony Design Award that happened recently, so that that would probably play a part in this question as well. So uh, we'll start with TJ, how about you? I think fundamentally um, it's going to be a multi-country approach. Um, I think Elon is going to, once once he's like, all right, we're ready for this, I think that he will look for partners in order to fund this endeavor so that he doesn't have to bet the farm on it, so to speak. He can still keep developing SpaceX the way it needs. So I think it'll there'll be a multi-country uh, effort. Um, and also, won't, I don't think it's all going to be riding on the shoulders of Starship. Um, I'd like to think that the likes of China, uh, the likes of India will um, be able to send ahead of time a lot of the supplies and technology required uh, to help build out that camp. Because if you really want to make that first permanent presence, you need a lot of stuff. You need a lot of people. You need a lot of supplies and things set up. Um, and SpaceX is one company, they can only spit out so many uh, boosters, but if as a planet, as a human species, if we can unite behind that and mobilize ourselves, I mean, hey, you know, maybe the way to look at it is maybe, um, I mean, yes, we're building in Boca Chica right now, but how many facilities are we building starships in 10 years, you know? Um, what kind of partnerships can Elon and SpaceX take on to uh, bring it to the next level so that they can scale and do it? So f so first, I think it'll be a, a multi-country approach um, in terms of the people that we send and, and the technology. Um, and it's going to be a meager existence for a while, likely. Um, I'm hoping that the uh, early robots we can send can make it less rugged. But uh, I think that it's going to be like the Wild West you know, learning to live off the land, uh, learning to get along with strangers from different places, and, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and with the right group of people to, to say goodbye to Earth likely forever. Okay, and Steffi, how do you envision the settlement of the first colony of Mars will happen, and which provider do you believe will get it done? Uh, I don't know which provider can make it done. Uh, I don't know if, if you could, yeah be able to say that right now but I think it would be painful and bloody because in human history it's always been painful and bloody when when people settled somewhere else and it's it's dangerous too so yeah we don't know which, which kind of people we send there we don't know how many people or starships it will take until we really manage to yeah have the first colony there that's hardly self-sustainable or doesn't die as soon as one thing goes wrong it's really hard to say but it's you know when when the europeans traveled the oceans i mean all these crazy stories you gotta hear because it's unknown territory 
and I think it will go kind of like that that a lot of people want to go there and yeah step into the starship this time and a lot can go wrong and a lot of people and starships can yeah get lost a lot of people may may lose their lives and even if you make it to mars yeah there, there is so much that can go wrong and so much that has to be done until we can live there and i mean i don't think that that humanity can all can uh, that humanity can someday terraform Mars so that you can go outside and enjoy the view and breathe the air. I think you'll always have to, to wear a space suit, to be fair, so it'll always be a little bit dangerous, but people can adapt. And I think uh, I'm a fan of, yeah, <laughs> genetics. So we have to enhance the people that go to Mars. So we have to do a lot more research on genetic enhancement and how to yeah, give our body the the notch needed to better, yeah, to to yeah to play a little bit with the nature to give it the notch to enhance better and faster, basically. Yeah, I'll end with that. <laughs> I think she said uh, something really interesting when she was talking about the um, the European explorers and something that is going to be unique with this exploration prior to even what they did is that you're gonna need people who are explorers at heart but also have the technical expertise to survive and to create that civilization to a degree can't just be anybody off the street but that is going to be that central element that they're all going to need is to be explorers and to be able to ask the right questions and to uh be able to live by themselves, you know? Because um, just because you're a scientist, a doctor, an engineer, doesn't mean you're an explorer. And just because you're an explorer doesn't mean that you have the credentials to play the right job in that kind of civilization, early on at least. So it'll be an interesting mix, and I'm excited to see how we find those people. And as well, if you go there, I mean, you fastest can find a solution to a problem if you really must because your life depends on it so i think as soon as we send the first people there we'll be able to leap forward because the people don't have another option there's just yeah come up with something or die yeah sink or swim and that's about a wrap for this week's episode of uh, becoming multiplanetary also to note this will be the last becoming multiplanetary episode of this year We'll be taking a brief break and returning in the next year. So, with that, uh, I've been Rich LB, co-host of Becoming Multiplanetary. Uh, I'd like to give a shout-out here to our Patreons. We have Jishuan and Sebastian, Gio Pagliari, Framrick, Susie R, and Marco. Thank you all very much for your contributions. Uh, they really do help us out here at Total Space. And I'm going to let the others say goodbye here now. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this wonderful episode of Becoming Multiplanetary. As my co-host Rich said, this will be our last episode for this year, but you can always check out all of our other episodes on totalspace.net. You can also find us on YouTube at Total Space. Follow us on Twitter uh, at TotalSpaceNet. Uh, check out all of our other episodes, not only of Becoming Multiplanetary, but also of the Space Update and Deep Dive, which you can find those on Anchor.fm, on iTunes, and many other podcasting platforms. And yeah, we'll see each other next year, and off to my next co-host. I've been Mikko. 
the host of Deep Dive Fridays. And thank you a lot for Steffi and DJ for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter. I'm at TJ underscore Cooney, or uh, you can watch my YouTube videos. I'm at, well, not at, I am, I need more space, or just look up TJ Cooney on YouTube and you'll stumble across me. Uh, so if you like uh, deep dives and learning about certain intricacies uh, around human spaceflight, uh, I'm your guy. And if you like space memes, Twitter's great too. Thank you for having me. I'm Stephanie, your split-second mom. And if you want to have more information about my upcoming show, Infinite Cosmos, just check what about it and we'll keep you informed. And once again, thank you all for joining us. Have a great holiday season and a happy new year. We'll see you next time.